It's really good to see you all. Uh, it's always a privilege and joy to be here. Happy New Year. I hadn't seen you all since Christmas, but uh, Happy New Year. Um, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and then we'll, get, we'll jump right into the text. We went a little long with singing tonight, so we'll go ahead and jump right in. Most gracious Heavenly Father, it is a privilege and a joy to be in your presence among your people. You know each and every one of us in this room. You know all of our past. You know all of our presence. And you know all of our futures. You know our hearts, our minds, our lives, our attitudes. You know our thoughts better than we know ourselves. And so, Lord, we come to you needing you to open your word so that we can see you, so that we can hear from you, so that we can know you better, so that we can feed on the bread of life and have strength and the ability to be the light that you've called us to be. Lord, you know every struggle in this room. You know every doubt and fear. You know every hope and dream. <clears throat> and the beauty and the reality of it is that it's all in your control anyhow. And so help us tonight to hear your word and help us to trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So one of the last songs that we sung um, was uh, the, that holiness song. And I want you to listen to the chorus of it. It said, here's my heart, form it. Here's my mind, transform it. Here's my will, conform it to yours, O Lord. Jesus actually prayed that, didn't he? He said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to listen again at that chorus of that song we were just singing. Take my heart and form it. Take my mind and transform it. Take my will and conform it to yours. Now, which one of those requests that you ask of God is in your power to do? Here's my heart, form it. Can you form your heart? No. Oh, that's God's business. Here is my mind, transform it. Here is my will, conform it to yours. Remember, <clears throat> the salvation process, once we're regenerated, once we're born again, once we become members of the family, the process of sanctification is a lifelong process. And that process involves you growing in the image of Christ. And God's going to do it with you kicking and screaming or with you going along. Whichever way, He's going to get it done. And one of the first things that has to happen in our sanctification is we have to recognize that I am not the one sanctifying myself. Salvation is not my work. It's God's. And when you can grasp the depth and the reality and the beauty of His grace and the fact that He is in control of your salvation, not you, it will set you free to become the person that He has created you to be. You see, if you are depending on anything that you have done, anything that you are doing, or anything that you plan to do later on to attain or maintain your salvation, then you're not depending on God, you're depending on you. God's grace is about His work in your life. And the moment that you add something to His work, it's no longer grace, it's now merit. You see? So, if I stand before God one day and I say, well, Jesus, the reason that I need to come to heaven is because one time they were playing just as I am in my church and I 
I felt a, a weakness in my heart and a sadness, and, and I ran up and I asked you to come into my heart and, and be my Savior. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? But the reality is, who did all of that? Me. And so what I'm basing my salvation on is something that I did instead of something you did, He did. You see? The reality is that He, before you were ever born, knew you. He knew all of your flaws. He knew all of your weaknesses. He knew everything about you. And yet He still loved you enough to put you as a part of His plan and send His Son to die on a cross to redeem you, to purchase you, to make you His child. And your salvation is always going to be dependent on what He did, not what you do. And what you're going to find in your sanctification, remember, sanctification is the process of growing and becoming more Christ-like. What you're going to do is you're going to see that it's an ugly, bumpy road because you're going to constantly be dependent on you. And... Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, are trying to teach you that it's not about you, it's about Him. You see? Your salvation is all about His work, not yours. And once you can let go of trying to save yourself, once you can let go of trying to do the work yourself, then you're free to enjoy His grace. You're free to enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. So, I want to use a, a, a modern uh, phenomenon to kind of explain this process to you. Um, New Year's resolutions. All right, this is January. How many of you have made New Year's resolutions? Anybody made any New Year's resolutions? One? We've got one person made a New Year's resolution? All right. So, uh, the reality is, is that when I make those resolutions, usually I break them. Usually I don't keep them. And the reason that I can't keep those resolutions is because most of the time I have deceived myself into thinking I want to do something that I don't want to do. So we're going to go to the board like we were talking earlier and talk about cigarettes. You see? There's several of you in the room that wrote on the board, please free me from cigarettes. All right? Well, the problem is not the cigarettes. The problem is your desire to smoke them. And the truth of the matter is you want to smoke them. You enjoy them. You like them. They give you comfort. They give you nicotine. They give you adrenaline. They get, they get your blood flowing. You like them. Now, you may not like waking up in the morning and spitting up brown stuff in the sink. And you may not like reading the warning Surgeon General says you're going to get leukemia or cancer from this. And you think about those kind of things. And you don't like those kind of things. We don't like to think about those kind of things. And the reality is every one of us in this room are big boys and girls. And we know that cigarettes are bad for you. And we know that they're going to eventually catch up with you, right? But the truth of the matter is your want to is the source of the problem. It's not the cigarettes, and it's not the nicotine. The problem is your desire. You see, my want to is the problem. I jokingly tell some of my friends sometimes, hey, the human body is made up of two-thirds water. That's, that's actually a scientific fact, right? Your body is made up of two-thirds water. Who knows what the, uh, the quality of water is? What is the, the, the nature of water? Hey, well, that's the, yeah, that's the chemical uh, makeup. But the, the nature of water is that it always sinks to its lowest point. 
it always sinks to the lowest point in the room. That's what water always does. It always sinks to the lowest point. So two-thirds of your body is sinking to the lowest point all the time. And that one-third is not water. It's, it's trying to stave off, you see. But the truth of the matter is, this, in the spiritual nature, it's the same way. We are fallen and broken and busted creatures. And we have lust and we have desires within us that control us and cause us to do things that we say we don't want to do. But the truth of the matter is, every one of you in this room does exactly what you want to do. And once we can come to that reality and that understanding that, uh uh-oh, it's my desires that are causing me these troubles, then I will stop depending upon myself and turn to Him. You see how it works? So I I want you to turn with me. Let's look at some scriptures. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. We're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 36. Um, as you're turning there, Ezekiel chapter 36, we're going to start in verse 22, and we're going to probably read um, 32. We're going to read 22 to 32. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 to 32. Now, really quickly, I just want to give you some background to this story. Ezekiel is a prophet from God. And uh, Ezekiel has been carried off into captivity with the children of Israel. They've left Israel and they have gone to a place called, who knows? Where are they gone? Where is Ezekiel? Does anybody know where him and all of the children of Israel are at? Uh, Daniel and the lion's den, King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. Babylon. That's exactly right. So the children of Israel um, had rebelled against God. For centuries and centuries, they had broken the Sabbath, and they had cons- and idolatry had consumed them. Instead of trusting God and walking in His commandments and walking in the covenant that He made with them, He said He made a covenant with them, and He said, "If you'll do this, I'll do this, and if you'll do this, I'll do this. I'll give you land, and I'll protect you, and I'll give you milk and honey, and your children will be blessed, and everything will be good. If you do this, I will do this." It was called a conditional covenant. And that conditional covenant, the the stipulations of that conditional covenant was based upon Moses and the law. Do not steal. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Don't lie. Honor your mother and your father. And what was the first commandment of all of the Ten Commandments? The Lord your God is a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before Him. Remember that? Well, the problem with the children of Israel is that they had all kinds of gods before Him. They had mixed in with the Babylonians and they were worshiping all of the Babylonian gods. And not only that, they were worshiping their own lives and their own livelihoods. And they were worshiping, um, uh, what letter does idolatry start with? Ah, yeah. And that's usually the biggest idol in your life. The biggest idol that stands between you and God is you. Right? So when Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, it's no longer I live, but Christ that lives in me, there was a reason why he had to be crucified. Because if he's not crucified on the cross with Christ, then he's going to try to crucify Christ himself. You see, it's about me. And being crucified is dying to self and living for God. That's what Jesus showed us how to do that. He showed us how to do that. But idolatry is worshiping anything in the creation that is not the creator. And the children of Israel had a terrible time with idolatry. So what did God do? He removed his hands of protection from them because they broke the deal. He made a covenant with them and they broke the covenant. 
And he told them, if you do this, I will bless you. And if you don't do this, I will curse you. And they didn't do it, so what did God do? He kept His promise. And that's the promise for me and you. His curses are blessings. You trust Him and walk with Him, He blesses you. You don't trust Him, you don't walk with Him, then His curses fall upon you. You see? And so the children of Israel had been living in idolatry. And ladies and gentlemen, i got news for you. Drugs are probably one of the biggest idols in the world. Drug addiction, alcoholism is... Drugs are... You are looking for something in the creation to give you what only the Creator can give you, which is peace and hope and joy and love and that feeling of it's going to be okay. You see? And so when you turn to the creation, you're turning away from the source of life. And by doing that, by turning away from the source of life, what happens when you turn away from the source of life? You die. die. That's exactly right. And so um, uh, these drugs and alcohol, they consume us. They become an idol in our life. And we eventually bow down to them. I guarantee you that I, 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 almost anybody in this room, I could probably point at anybody and ask you to give a testimony and you could tell me something about flashlights and crawling around in a shag carpet, right? We literally get on our knees for, for our idols. And you're going to worship something. And unfortunately, one of the things besides drugs and alcohol that we do worship is that pretty handsome fellow you look at every morning in the mirror when you brush your teeth. It's about you. Ah, 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 ah. Well, the children of Israel had been caught up in idolatry, and so God removed His hands of protection from them and sent the Babylonians in. He used them as a hammer to come in and put the beat down on His own people that He loved very much and drug them off into a place that they had never been before, away from their family and away from their friends and away from their loved ones. And He surrounded them in a new culture of people that didn't under—they didn't understand the language, they didn't understand the culture. And for 70 years, they lived in captivity in Babylon. And so what we're going to read here in this verse that we're going to read is Ezekiel speaking to the children of Israel. And it's basically, remember, a prophet was someone who was sent by God to speak for God. And so basically God is saying, Ezekiel, I want you to go talk to my people, and this is what I want you to tell them. So that's the background to what we're fixing to read right here. So look at verse Ezekiel 36, verse 22. <clears throat> Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Alright? First of all, what do he say? It's not because you're good boys and girls. It's because you're my kids and you have my name and you have went out and smeared my name in the mud. You went out and all of the blessings that I gave you, you took advantage of them and you used them for your own personal desires. And not only have you destroyed yourself and your families, but you've destroyed my, you have not destroyed, but you have smeared my name. He says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have, has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. So he, what he's going to do is he's going to work in his own children's lives and he's going to show the very people that he used to punish them that he is God. And then not only will the Babylonians know that he is God, but so will his children. You see? You remember the story of Moses. Remember Moses. What was the whole point of the story? To, to put the beat down on Pharaoh and the Egyptians and show them who really is God and, and what he does for his children. 
And so this is the same kind of thing. He says, I will take you from among the nations and I will gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you uh, from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit, that's capital right, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave you to your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all of your uncleanliness and I will call for the grain and multiply it and I will not bring a famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. I'm doing this I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let that be known. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus the Lord, thus says the Lord God, on that day I will cleanse you from all of your iniquities, and I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. Right? Now, in a nutshell, God is saying, I've allowed you to get into the condition you're in, and now I'm going to do something about it. But I want you to go back, and I want you to listen with me really quickly. Let's start in verse 23. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord when I prove myself holy among their sight. I will, verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your, unf- your filthiness and from your idols. Verse 26, moreover, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you. And I will call for the grain and I will not bring a famine. I will multiply the fruit of the trees and then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself. I will call, verse 20, 33, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. Now, do y'all see the theme there? What is the theme? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's about God and His Word. And what, what was their responsibility? They will know He is God. They will, look at, look at this. Now, you don't hear this often nowadays in the world we live in, but look again in verse 31. You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will 
loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. What does it mean to loathe? Hate. It makes you nauseous. It, he said, you're going to hate yourself for who you were. And you're going to, it's going to make you sick to think of the things that you did. See? Now, we, we live in a world now where it's about building self up. You've got to have self-esteem. God said, no, you don't need any self-esteem. You need my Holy Spirit. See, it's not about me and you. It's about Him and what He does. And so with these children here, it's I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And so now back to your New Year's resolutions. Your New Year's resolutions are things that you say, I will. I will stop eating donuts. Please don't. Y'all still serve donuts, John, after? Yes. They're fantastic. And they're good with coffee. So that's not one of my resolutions. But let's just say, what would one of my resolutions be? I will read 52 books this year. That, that actually is a resolution I make every year. I try to read one a week. Um, and thankfully, the last couple of years, I've been able to do that. Right? But if I depend on myself and my own strength to do it, I'll fail every time. I'll get behind like three weeks, and then I'll just give up and quit. But I've set a reading plan, and I say, God... Please give me the desire to learn more about you. And so I've got a, I've got these books picked out that I'm going to read, and I'm going to stick to it. Every night I'm going to make sure that I put 20 minutes to it. But again, I'm recognizing that it is a freedom that I have in Christ to be able to read those 52 books. Not an obligation that I have to read them. And not only that, I loathe the person that I used to be. And the person that I used to be could sit and watch eight, eight, watch eight hours of baseball. One sitting. You know, the person that I used to be could uh, get in a car and drive to Atlanta and spend two or three hundred dollars and watch a ball game and then turn around and come home. That was the old me. The old me used to love to drink and to drug and to party and to, and to hurt people and to hurt myself. And so what I constantly remind myself of is who I am without him. And I'm nothing. And he taught me that. And I still have to get reminded of it. Sometimes I get corrected at work by young men that are 20 years younger than I am. I have a boss that's 20 years younger than me, and he corrects me. And I bite the side of my cheek. I say, yep, I'll do it. And sometimes I go to my car and I'm angry that I had to listen to him. See? That's not right. But the old me would have just cussed him out and quit. <clears throat> the new me recognizes that it's not about me anyhow. That's right. He needs to see Christ in my life. So I'm going to work hard and I'm going to sweat and I'm going to do what I can. But I'm going to trust God to give me the power to do it. And I'm going to trust God to give me the desire and the resolution to do it. Because the moment I begin to trust in me again, I'll cut somebody out and quit. You see? And so, God allows us to fall. But please hear what I'm saying. Those falls are not accidental. You didn't just stumble into your habits. You ran full force into them and embraced them with all of your emotions and your heart and your feelings. 
Recognize who you are without Him. And then, once He... What, what did He say? Watch what He said to them. This is so cool, because what did He say? You're living in captivity. You're living in a, in a place where you're not in control. And life is a mess. And you've wrecked it all. But I'm going to reach down there. I'm going to pull you out of that bondage. And I'm going to pull you out of that place. And not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to wash you clean from all of your filthiness. And then I'm going to reach into that chest of yours and I'm going to rip out that heart of stone that you have that causes you to constantly fall, that causes you to constantly live in idolatry, that causes you to constantly live for self. I'm going to rip that old heart of stone out of you because it's dead and it can't beat and it's no good. And I'm going to put a heart of flesh within you. And not only am I going to give you a new heart, but I'm going to breathe my spirit into you and give you a new life. And then you will walk the way you're supposed to walk. Because I'm going to be the one working in you, not you. You see, that's that's what he's telling them here. And it's a beautiful picture. Um, A lot of people actually think that this is the passage that Jesus is referring to when he's speaking to Nicodemus. He said to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Right? The wind blows where it will, and you don't know where it comes from, where it's going. Well, same way it is with the Spirit. The Spirit just blows. He said... Let's turn there and look at that really quick. Keep your, get, keep your mark there in Ezekiel because we may go back to that. Um, turn with me really quickly over to John chapter 3 and let's look at what Jesus says to Ezekiel. Because I mean to uh, Nicodemus. Because remember, Nicodemus is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knows the Old Testament. He's memorized the first five books of it. He's, he knows the Old Testament stories. And so he's going to refer to this story with Ezekiel uh, to Nicodemus. Look what he says in verse... Um, Nicodemus said in verse 4... How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. All right, so watch. Look at that verse again. Um, verse Five. Jesus said, Amen, Amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. All right? Now, flip back to Ezekiel and look really quick. Verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from all of your idols. Now, a lot of people would think that's talking about baptism, but it's not talking about baptism. It's talk, actually, it's talking about spiritual. The, it's talking about the Holy Spirit washing you clean um, through His Word. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. So all the way back then, Jesus is talking about the act of regeneration, and that He can save you, and that He can give you a new heart, and that He can make you a, a new creation. Uh, Jonah, y'all still sing that? I'm a... New creation, I'm a brand new man. Yeah, born out of Congress. I used to love coming here and hear y'all sing that. That's what I am. How does it go? That's what I am. Yeah. I'm a new creation. Yeah. I'm a brand new man. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's, um, I remember when I first started coming here like nine years ago, I would go home at night and I hear that when I was laying in my bed sleeping. Like I would hear the people singing that. And it's beautiful to think about that God loved me enough to reach down into a wicked, busted world and grab a wicked and busted man and pull him out of that world that he lived in and rip the heart of stone out of him and give him a heart of flesh and fill him with his spirit and say, now be my child. It's one of the most beautiful things that you can imagine. And it wasn't my choice. I was running as hard as I could away from him. I didn't want anything to do with God. Ronnie was saying my shackles are gone too. Yeah, yeah. Another one. That's a beautiful one too. So think about that. He's, he's saying that he's going to do it. Not you. I argue with people all the time. I have a dear friend, a brother in Christ, I argue with all the time. And he says, well, you can't really tell whether you chose God or God chose you. You know? Did, did, did I choose God or did God choose me? Right, right. God chose you. But he says, well, it happens at the same time. And see, what happens is we want to have something to do with it. Like, I want to be a part of it. I want to say, I went down and gave my heart to Jesus. No, you didn't. Jesus ripped the heart of stone out of you, and he gave you a new heart. Jesus didn't need your filthy heart. It's, it's true. He gave you a new heart. He made you a new person. He regenerated you and made you his child. And his children act like their father. What did he tell the Pharisees? You are of your father the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. You do the same thing. So when I catch myself lying, I'm realizing that that old man that I used to be is trying to climb out of the grave. And I need to stake him. Right? I, get away from me. And I need to remember to loathe myself. One of the first opportunities that you get to become close to God is when He finally allows you through the preaching of His Word and through the enlightenment of His Holy Spirit to see what you look like from His point of view. It's never fun. Matter of fact, you'll probably crawl under the bed and you'll probably shake and tremble and be afraid. And it's not it's a fear of the Lord and it's a, it's a humbling and amazing thing. But the truth of the matter is, a fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding, isn't it? Right? So, to finish up the class, we're going to kind of finish early tonight. I want you to turn with me over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Why did the world not know him? They're dead and trespassing in sin, walking according to the course of this world, walking according to the spirit of the power of principalities, now working in the sons of disobedience. Remember Ephesians? And you were dead in your trespasses to him, but God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive. Why did they not want anything to do with Jesus? Because they were dead in their hearts. They were wicked, self-centered, self-righteous, self-sufficient people who were fallen in Adam. And Jesus came, and what did it say? He came into, look what it says next. 
He came to His own, but His own people did not receive Him. Alright, but watch. Here's where the news gets better. Verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. So, what happens first according to John in verse 12? Do we believe Him and then receive Him? We receive Him, and then by receiving Him, what happens? Our heart changes, and now we can believe. You see how it works? It's His work, not mine. If He'd have left me alone, I'd be dead in my trespassing sin. Remember Lazarus? Did Lazarus walk out of the grave or come to life first? What happened first? Came to life. Yeah, he had to come to life first. If He had not said Lazarus come out of there, Lazarus would still be in the tomb today. It's the same way with your and my dead heart. Had God not breathed new life into us, we would have never come out of the grave. Right? As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. It's a privilege, a right, a freedom, the ability. Before He sets you free, you don't have the right, the freedom, the ability to be a child of God. The only people that get to be children of God are the people that He adopts into His family and makes His children. He's only got one natural son. That's Jesus. The rest of us are supernatural children. We've been regenerated and we've been adopted into His family. We are made children by adoption. Right? And to as many as received Him, He gave them the right to become children of God, even to those who believe. So, my believing in God is a fruition of my receiving Him. The roots of me receiving Him is His regenerative work. So picture me as a tree. Before God did a work in me, I was dead. Like the fig tree that He cursed. Dead. No life in me. He regenerated me. He made me alive. And now, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, long-suffering that I have is not my efforts. It's the fruit of Him working through me. And the moment that I begin to think that it's my love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, all suffering is working in me, is the moment that I'm dependent on Adam and not Christ. And the moment I will fail. So I let him work. Now, that doesn't mean that I can just sit around and not do anything. If I'm his child, I'm going to act like him. If I'm his child, I'm going to think like him. If If I'm his child, I'm going to... Be conformed to His image. And my life is going, to be, it's going to be a constant pattern of me becoming more and more Christ-like. Now, it takes 40, 50, 60, 70 years, however long it takes, because we're not done even when we get in the grave, are we? We're going to have to get a new body because this old body can't keep up with the new person that we are. But the reality is it's a battle. And that battle is going to be played out in your works. The fact that you're working shows that you're battling but I'm just going to be blunt with you. When you go out there and light up that cigarette, you're not battling. You're embracing the old you. And your body's the temple of the Lord. And just because it's not going out and sleeping with 20 people on the weekend or uh, shooting drugs into your vein, you think, well, it's not as bad as what I used to do. But the reality is you're still abusing a body that God gave you. And until we can see that, until we can allow him to let us see what we look like from his point of view. 
it's not easy. I chewed tobacco for 30 years. I did not for 30 years. I started when I was 13 years old and I quit when I was 43. Or somewhere around there. 30 years. Nicotine. And to this day, I hadn't had a, any tobacco in my mouth in 10 years. To this day, I can walk into a gas station and look behind that counter at, those, at the cans back there behind the counter and my mouth will start watering. It's filthy. It's a nasty, filthy habit. I go to work now. I go to clean up the parking lots, and I see all them old spit bottles out there with the screw caps on, and then somebody leaves them out in the parking lot. It's a filthy, nasty habit. But boy, I sure loved it when I was doing it. But it's cost me some of my teeth, and uh, it cost me a lot of money, and it cost me a part of my jaw, and it cost me uh, a lot of waste. And it's the same way with every other habit out there. I got news for you. Some of y'all, y'all from Jersey folks in here, right? What a pack of cigarettes in New York is like fourteen dollars now, right? Am I? The last time I was up there it was like thirteen fifty a pack. I carried my friend like three packs, three cartons on the plane. It almost paid for my plane ticket. Just yeah. Don't tell anybody that. It's tax evasion. But it, you, I mean, this has been fifty years ago. But you see what I'm saying? Like you're you're pouring money into something to destroy yourself. But the truth of the matter, the reality behind all of it is you want to do it. And until you confront that want to and give it over to Christ, you'll just keep embracing it. So stop it. Are you crucified with Christ? Prove it. See? If Christ is really at work with you. Now, guys, listen, I battle every day. My, in my mind, I battle every day, and I lose the battle a lot in my mind. There's all kind of things that go through my mind, and I lose, I lose the fight a lot. And the reality is, sometimes I turn on the TV and watch something I had no business watching, and that gives the enemy a grip. I lose the battle a lot, but the difference in a child of God and a child of the world is a child of God will battle. I no longer embrace those things. They disgust me. I still am, I still chase after them at times in my mind. But it disgusts me to think about it. And the reason is, is because He's given me a new heart. And He loves me. And He's created me to be a light in this world. And He commands me to do that. So I'll finish with this. He commanded the children of Israel to be a people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You remember? That's what Peter calls us as Christians in the New Testament. But that's exactly what he called the Israelites in the Old Testament to be. Different than the rest of the world. And instead of being what he called them to be, they just became like the rest of the world. Instead of being the light that he called them to be, they became the darkness for the rest of the world. And so what happened? They fell into judgment. And the same thing happens to me and you. As his children, as children of the light. If we reject Him and walk away from Him, we will fall under His discipline because who the Lord loves, He chases. So 20 years from now, I'm just going to be blunt with you, 20 years from now, when you go in there and get that chest x-ray and you got those black spots all over your lung and then you start praying, why God, why? He's going to say, because. Ask Him to change your heart. Ask Him to give you the strength to fight. It's not your battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, resolve to follow Him. Resolve to trust Him. 
resolve to let Him be the power in you, not you. Amen? Amen. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for this night. Thank You for this time together. Uh, Thank You for a chance to know that You are a loving and compassionate and caring God who does rescue us from ourselves. And so I pray for every man and woman in this room or every person that hears this message tonight. If they're out there and they're battling with something that they can't win, I pray You will help them to surrender and trust You, a God who can conquer all. So be with us now. Help us to be Your children. Help us to allow the world to see Your love and light through us. And help us to be who You've called us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.